Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Good evening. How are we doing? Pretty good. All right. So tonight we are talking about sex, Uh, which if tonight is your first time, if you're new with us, nice to meet you. My name is Josh. Uh, We're about to go on a a journey together. Um, No, but, uh, and also I'm sure your friend is like, dang it, tonight of all nights, like, ah. Uh, No, we don't don't talk about sex every week. Uh, We're talking about sex tonight specifically uh, because we have been walking through uh, a series called How to Ruin a Perfectly Good Relationship. Um, And so uh, the basic idea, I mean, everyone's really jazzed about sex. I can tell there's a lot of murmuring happening in the room. Uh, No, but the basic idea of this series is that we're, we're actually pretty good at ruining relationships on our own. Uh, the problem is that we don't always know what we do to ruin them, right? Like we know that our relationships aren't exactly what we want. We just don't know why, right? And so we've kind of walked through all these different steps on how to ruin a relationship. We've talked about friendships. We've talked about singleness. We've talked about isolation. We've talked about uh, kind of where we put our hope and, and, and all those things. And so tonight we're gonna finish the series with step five, which is uh, spending years developing unhealthy sexual habits. Right, step five in ruining a relationship is spending years developing un- or unhealthy sexual habits. And so I'm, I'm excited because I, I think that if we're honest, the sexual habits that we create over the years absolutely shape our relationships. Like there's, there's no way that they... They don't, and, and so I wanna just spend some time tonight talking about what are some of the, the unhealthy habits that we create over the years as it pertains to sex. Now, before we start, I wanna be really clear about something. I understand that when we talk about sex, there is a range of different feelings and emotions and thoughts that come up when we begin to talk about something like this. And I know that one of the feelings that, that kind of comes up is, is oftentimes it's shame. Right? I think oftentimes there's this shame that is attached to sex when we talk about sex. Um, and so I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your present is. I don't know what's going on in your life. But if you've had a complicated sexual past or if you've had a complicated sexual situation right now, I want you to hear first and foremost that we serve a God of grace. Right, that we serve a God who redeems and restores really broken, really complicated situations. Right? And so I, th- I think that oftentimes it's so easy just to carry around shame. And so um, before we kind of talk about all these other things, I wanna just make sure that you guys know this is not a night where we're gonna condemn or judge because we serve a God who redeems and restores and just lavishes grace upon us. And so, and so I don't want shame to kind of be the thing that, that kind of drives tonight, right? Because we serve a God who is unbelievably gracious in the way that he uh, enters into our past and our um, present and honestly, even our future. Um, and so I want to be very, very, very clear that, I mean, grace should be, be the thing that is driving tonight. With that being said, we believe in grace and we also believe that unhealthy sexual habits can absolutely derail your relationships. 
And so the hope is that we understand that and we address it. Yes, we believe in grace. We believe that grace covers all of our sin, all of our shame, and we need to address some things in order to have relationships that actually flourish and thrive the way that God desires for our relationships to flourish and thrive. And so um, tonight's gonna be really simple. I'm gonna just kind of walk through three specific habits uh, that we tend to have um, and kind of talk about how do we begin to experience freedom from these habits. So let's dive in. Habit number one is this. Habit number one is to have an unbiblical view of sex, to have an unbiblical view of sex. And here's what I mean. Um, the way that we view sex, the, the lens with which we view sex, how we see sex is, is unbelievably important, right? Our view, our perspective is, is crazy important. And if we spend years consistently viewing sex through one specific lens, and that lens is wrong, it drastically shapes the way that sex plays out for the rest of our lives, right? And so there's, there's actually two specific ways that we can have an unbiblical view of sex. And, and the first might surprise you because the first way that we have an unbiblical view of sex is that we see sex as dirty, right? That we view sex as something that is kind of dirty and gross and shameful, right? Um, we unapologetically believe uh, that God has created sex to be this incredible, beautiful gift in the context of a marriage that brings joy, stability, safety, intimacy, human connection, right? So, so we unapologetically believe that. But I think that what's happened over the years is that in Christian circles, in an attempt to, to have kids kind of save marriage or save sex for marriage, there's kind of been this narrative created that, that, that sex is dirty. The sex is gross, that sex is, there's, there's something dirty and shameful about sex. And the reality is that's not how scripture talks about sex, right? Like we are very pro-sex here because our God is very pro-sex, right? Our God created sex. Like I, I think it's oftentimes easy to think that maybe like Adam and Eve just kind of stumbled upon it, right? That God kind of, you know, took a step back and came back and was like, that's creative. I didn't really think about that, right? Like, no, like, no, God created, God instituted sex, right? And so our God speaks very highly of sex and scripture speaks very highly of sex, right? I think I, I grew up believing that, that that scripture just said, hey, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. But if you read scripture, scripture is very clear that married people should have honestly a lot of sex, right? So for, for instance, Proverbs 5 says this, says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. That doesn't sound very prudish to me, right? Like that doesn't make it sound like sex is gross or dirty, right? Um, another example, in, in Song of Solomon, there's this exchange between Solomon and his wife on their wedding night. And Solomon says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. She responds by saying, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. And that means exactly what you think it means, okay? Now, now here's the thing, like that's in the Bible, right? Like, like that's how the Bible talks about sex. We serve a God who is unbelievably pro-sex, right? And so I bring that up because I want us to have a high view of sex because I think that why this is so detrimental, if we view sex as something that is kind of dirty and gross and shameful, the reason why that can be so detrimental to our relationships is because if you spend decades believing that something is dirty, it's tough to just turn that off in an instant. 
If you spend years believing that it's dirty and gross, the minute that you enter into that relationship, it's tough to, to turn that type of thinking off. And I've talked to uh, friends of mine that, that counsel couples, and they say that one of the most predominant things that they see in young married Christian couples is that they have a, a kind of awkward first couple years because they can't turn off in their mind that this is gross or this is dirty or, or ah, we, we shouldn't be doing it. And so what I want for us is I wanna make sure that we are a group of people that have a very high view of sex because we understand that sex is not gross or dirty. God has created it to be beautiful, right? And so, so one of the things I wanna challenge you with tonight is that if you kind of do some introspection and, and you realize, you know, I think I do have a view that maybe it's, it's more dirty than it actually is. And I would challenge you to spend some time just trying to kind of process it. Where do you think that comes from? Right? And, and one, like you're not alone. Like it's, it's a rampant view that it's dirty until marriage. And then all of a sudden we just turn it off and it's not dirty anymore. Right? Psychologically, like that, that, that takes a lot of gymnastics to get over that. And so spend some time just kind of reflecting and saying, man, is this, is this from something I heard as a kid? Is it from the church that I grew up in? Is it from something my parents said? Man, process through, man, where is that coming? Where did you begin to associate the word dirty with something that God has declared beautiful? Right? Spend some time trying to figure out where that came from because I wanna make sure that we have a high view of sex, that we have a biblical view of sex and biblical view of sex says that sex is not dirty, but it's actually beautiful. Now, here's the second way that we can have an unbiblical view of sex. And it's that we treat sex in a way that's way too casual. That we treat sex in a casual way. Sex is absolutely beautiful. And sex is also very powerful. Right? Sex is powerful. And because sex is powerful, we don't treat it in a casual way. And the reality is it's, it's a very common sense way of doing life that we apply to every other situation in the world except for sex. Like we instinctually know that we don't treat powerful things in a casual way, right? It's why you don't give a 10 year old a driver's license, right? It's why you don't have an open bar at a sweet 16, right? It's why you need a, a license to operate a wrecking ball, right? We understand that powerful things we do not approach them in a casual way. Yet, despite the fact that sex is unbelievably powerful, it's easy to just kind of swing the pendulum the other way and say, yes, yeah, sex is so beautiful that we should have as much of it as we possibly can. We should boil it down to being something that's purely physical and then we just treat it in a very casual way, right? But what we see in scripture is that there is power and sex that should allow us to kind of take a step back and have a reverent view of sex because we understand the power that it has, right? In fact, the majority of the time when you see um, um, passages in scripture that cause to refrain from sex, it's not because it's dirty, it's because it's powerful. And scripture says, I want you to understand the power of what's happening, right? So for instance, Song of Solomon 2 says this. It says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Now, again, this is the same book that we just read. Like we know that the book of Song of Solomon is not a prudish book, right? This is a very pro-sex book. Yet in this same book, this is a refrain that's seen over and over and over again. And what's interesting is this word for um, adjure is a Hebrew word that means to make an oath. And what, and what she's saying here is, hey, I, I adjure you, I, I like, promise me 
Make an oath with me that you will not awaken love until it's time, that you won't awaken love until it pleases. Why? Because it's powerful. And once you wake that part of yourself up, it's not going back to sleep. Saying it's powerful. So don't stir it up. Don't awaken it before it's time, right? Scripture is so clear that the, the refraining that it calls, calls us to is not because it's dirty or gross, but because it's powerful, right? And we see that all throughout Scripture. Now, maybe you hear that and think, all right, well, what's so powerful about sex, right? Like we hear that, but like what makes it so powerful? Great question. I'm glad you asked. When God created man and wife in Genesis 2, God sees man, he says, hey, it's not good, it's not ideal that he is alone, so he brings him this woman, um, they get married, and we see the very first marriage take place, and there's a really interesting phrase that, that is used to describe kind of the purpose of what marriage is, and it's in Genesis 2, 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Something really interesting that I want to point out to you. This word here for hold fast is a Hebrew word, devak. And what devak means is it means to literally stick together like an adhesive. It means to be glued together. And what he's calling the man and the wife to is he's saying, hey, I want you to hold fast to one another, that you stick together like an adhesive in a way that you become one flesh. That you go from being two to being one and you are so glued together, you're not coming apart. And the way that God has so strategically allowed that to take place, or one of the ways that God has allowed that to take place is through sex. And, and this is where our bodies uh, prove the word of God to be so cool. So biologically, when you have sex, your brain releases oxytocin, which is commonly known as like the cuddle hormone, right? It's the same thing that is released when a mother is uh, breastfeeding, right? And it bonds you to the child, right? It is the, the bonding chemical in our brain. And so our God has so created sex to work in such a way that when you have sex, in the context of husband and wife, what happens is your brain says, that's my person. That's my person. And it connects you. It bonds you. It takes two people and makes them one. Right? It, it bonds you. And so in the context of a marriage, what the oxytocin does is it promotes fidelity. It promotes oneness. It creates unity. It brings them together in a really powerful way. It's beautiful in the context of marriage. However, because the oxytocin, the oxytocin is the exact same things that make breakups disproportionately more messy when you've been having sex. I've walked with a lot of people over the years through breakups. And I can almost tell you in the first five minutes without even asking if they've been having sex. Because there is just this weight and there's gravity. And you know why? Because two people have become one. And when two become one, they're not supposed to go back to being two. They're not supposed to go back to being two. And when you rip an adhesive off the wall, it's painful. There's no easy way to, to, to take things that are glued together and pull them apart. And so again, like, I'm not trying to have some, some sort of a judgmental sense. Like, man, I have nothing but grace and compassion, but I want us to understand how God has created our bodies to work is from two people to become one. And if we function in a way where we treat sex in, in a really casual way, what happens is we walk through these breakups or these separations that are unnecessarily painful. 
significantly more painful than they need to be. It's because God has created our bodies to work in that way. So, so my hope and my prayer, and again, I don't know where you are in this room, but my hope is that we begin to understand the power of sex, that we see, yes, it is beautiful, but we also understand the power of it, and we stop treating it in casual ways. We have a biblical view of sex that it is beautiful and it's powerful, right? That's habit number one. Here's habit number two, that we choose pornography over intimacy. We choose pornography over intimacy. The beauty of how God has created sex to work, right, is that there's joy, there's pleasure in it. And there's also this phenomenal human connection, hence the oxytocin, right? That it bonds us together, that we have this incredible intimacy that takes place because of how God has created us to work. Right? And when we engage sex the way that God has created sex to work, then all of a sudden we get pleasure and joy and intimacy. But we are living in a culture that, that says, you know what? I will trade those things out. I will choose short-term pleasure and short-term joy at the cost of long-term intimacy. And we choose one and we forego the other when in reality we, we could have both. And the primary way that we do this is through pornography. Now, Pornography makes total sense, right? The drought, like I understand how gripping pornography can be, right? Because what pornography does is it allows you to function in a way where you can allow your fantasies to run rampant. You can customize however you possibly want to customize it. And why that can be so detrimental to our kind of long-term connection with others, because what pornography is really good at doing is it breeds comparison and it breeds discontentment. It breeds comparison, it breeds discontentment, right? And so when you enter into a relationship with another person, they're having to compete with years of images, with years of certain attractions and desires that have been happening in our brain. And there's something detrimental that comes with that type of relationship. And so again, I don't know where you are, but man, my hope and my prayer for you and your future relationships or even your current relationships is that you don't make your current or future spouse have to compete with years of images that are ingrained in your mind. And again, and there is absolute grace for that. There's absolute, I mean, there, there is healing, there is hope, right? Like it is not too far gone, you're not ruined. But I want us to understand the gravity of, of, of how this has been designed to work, that it is absolutely designed to breed comparison that will inevitably, inevitably lead to discontentment. You know, I've talked to, to, to counselor friends of mine who have said, man, there are so many cases of people that, that look at pornography for years and once they get into a marriage, they think, oh, now I have the real thing. And what happens is their bodies betray them. Their bodies don't function the way that their bodies are supposed to function because a real person can't compete with an actor. A real person can't compete with an image. And so man, my hope and my prayer for us is that man, if this is a struggle for you, again, you are not alone. And if, if you hear that and you feel like you're alone in this room, trust me, you are not. But if you were to think honestly and say, man, I, I feel like I'm trapped, I'm stuck, man, I'm, I'm just addicted. And we have so many ways here that we, we can help. 
So Oakier has these classes called Redeemed Sexuality, and they are classes, they, they're groups of men and women who will gather together and, and, and experience freedom and, and try to experience freedom from all these things, right? And so my hope for us is that, man, we don't trade pornography for intimacy, that we don't want short-term joy at the expense of long-term intimacy, but we say, you know what, I, I want both. I want pleasure and I want human connection just the way that God has created it to work. But here's habit three. I'm with you, bro. <laughs> habit three is we associate your desirability with physicality. Associate your, de- your desirability with physicality. Realize that that may sound, sound weird, but here's what I mean. We all want to be wanted, right? Every single person wants to feel wanted. We want to be desired. We want someone to find us desirable, right? And for some of us, we've had people from a young age who are speaking truth into our life and allowing us to see that we're wanted and loved and desired and it has nothing to do with our physicality. That just because of our intrinsic worth and value, we're wanted. But for others of us, we've spent a long time not being told that without people speaking truth into our life, craving, man, what does it look like to be wanted? And the reality is the moment that someone um, wants to be physical with you, you can't help but feel wanted. It's one of the most intoxicating feelings in in the world because few things make us feel as desired and as wanted as someone wanting to have sex with us. Right? When, when I was uh, 16, I was in this really bad pop punk trio. I played drums and we were, uh, we were playing, playing a show and this random girl in the crowd yelled, yelled, yelled out, yo drummer, I wanna have your baby. And I, and, I, and, and I heard it and I was like, that sounds like a real bad life choice. However, I am flattered. Um, and I remember like walking around the rest of the night and I was like, Hey man, were you the one that had a random chick want to spend the rest of her life with you? Or was that me? Okay, cool. Um, or at least the next 18 years. Um, and so I um, remember thinking like, that's like, wow, like you, like you, feel, you feel desired, right? And, and, and when we have those kinds of experiences, like few things make us feel as wanted and as desired. And so for whatever reason, and, and I'm, I'm so sorry if this is you, I'm so sorry if no one's ever spoken truth into your life and allowed you to see the intrinsic worth and value that you have as a child of God. But in those moments, when we crave the feeling of just wanting to be wanted, it's so easy to find our desirability in physicality. And we begin to believe that we're only as wanted, only as desired as someone is willing to sleep with us. And if we adopt this mentality, if we believe that we're only wanted, we're only desired in relation to our sexuality, then what happens is you run the risk of consistently feeling rejected. Consistently feeling rejected. Right? Um, an example I see, out, I see play out in dating often is someone will be dating and they'll, um, let's say they're make, making out and things just kind of begin to ramp up, Right? And someone stops and they say, hey, you know what? I'm just feeling conviction. Man, I really want to lead you away from sin, away from guilt, away from shame. And, and I want to lead you to Christ. And I know where this is going and I want it to go there. But I just feel this conviction from the Lord that we just need to slow it down. And maybe just like, just take a step back and uh, I'll see you tomorrow. If someone says that, that's admirable. Like it is admirable for someone to sense conviction 
and then respond with obedience. However, like, like, like you should feel honored. You should feel honored if someone has the conviction from the Lord to lead you into holiness, right? But if you associate your desirability with phys- physicality, then you don't feel honored, you feel rejected. You don't feel honored that, 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 that they're trying to lead you into hol- holiness. You feel rejected and lies begin to come into your mind saying, well, am I not attractive enough? Am I not pretty enough? Am I not, am I not man enough? Am I not, like, is there something wrong with me that, that makes you want to pump the brakes? And so when we should feel honored, we feel rejected. And it's not just dating, it'll move into marriage. If you find your desirability in physicality, then, then what happens is when you try to pursue your spouse and they say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm tired tonight. You might start to spiral out and begin to feel like, like unwanted and rejected when in the reality, them not wanting to have sex has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the fact that it's a Tuesday, right? <laughs> but but like, like this is a real thing. Like Mary, Mary, People in here can back me up on this. If your, if your desirability is associated with physicality, then in moments, you'll just feel rejected. And the last thing I want for us is to spend a life where we consistently feel rejected and undesired and unwanted. So I don't know who that's for. I don't know who in this room struggles with that. But man, if that's you, can I just lovingly tell you that you're wanted? You are so wanted, and I might not even know who you are, but I know for a fact that you are wanted because the gospel of Jesus Christ says that you're wanted. Scripture tells us over and over that our sin separates us from God, that it drives this rift between us and God. Ephesians 2 says that we are children of wrath because of our sin. Yet, Despite our sin separating us from God, our God desired us in such a way that he allowed his son to go right the wrong that we did, to fix the mess, to clean up the mess that we made, right? That's who our God is, right? That our God wants us like that. A verse that just blows my mind is in Psalm, Psalm 8. It says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him, right? What, what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about all that he is. I'm thinking about the creation, the expanse, the heavens, the earth. I'm thinking about all that he has done, how massive and glorious and mighty he is. And the fact that he thinks about me, like, who am I? That the creator of the universe would think about me, that he's mindful of me. And what the gospel communicates is that the creator of the universe, despite our sin, despite our rebellion against him, is mindful of us. And not just mindful of us, but mindful of us to the point that he's allowing his son to come and step in our place. Not just so that we'll be saved or our our slate is wiped clean, but to have a relationship with us. That we're saved, but we're also adopted. And now we have a right relationship with God. So make no mistake, in the moments when you might not feel wanted, the moments when you feel rejected, and look at the cross because the cross declares you are wanted. You are desired and Christ sent, or God sent Christ to prove it. Now, let me close with this. 
this might sound weird coming from a pastor, but our hope is that you have a phenomenal sex life. Hang on. Um, and what I mean is that when you look at how scripture lays out sex, and we serve a God who is pro-sex, we serve a God who has created it to bring joy and delight and human connection and flourishing and all these amazing things. And my fear is that because of the way that our culture operates, we shortchange ourselves. That we settle for sex that's good, but it's not great that we'll settle for short-term pleasure and forego long-term connection, long-term joy. So my hope in all of this, again, is not to beat anybody up. It's not to, to shame anybody. My hope is, is an, out of an understanding of how the word of God lays out sex, how our God has so lovingly, graciously created sex to work, that we have the eyes to see it as beautiful that we respond with obedience. And so my, my challenge tonight is that I wanna spend some time just, just thinking about, man, where, where do I struggle? Because my guess is that every single person in this room is affected by sexual sin on, on some level, either yours or the sin of others. And so my hope and prayer is that we are people that just stop and reflect and we think, All right, like, where do I need to make some changes? And is it in the way that I view it? Is my perspective wrong? And is it pornography? Is it where I'm finding my worth and my value? That, that we spend time trying to figure out, man, what sort of habits do I need to begin to ask the Lord to break? Because I believe that we serve a God who breaks the chains, who breaks chains of things that, that have just keep us enslaved. And so my hope and my prayer is that we can be people that trust God enough to say, all right, God, I wanna handle sex the way that you've created it to work. I wanna experience the joy and the, the connection and all the things, exactly how you've created it to work. So may we be a people that take the word of God seriously in such a way that we pursue sex the way that God has created it to work for our joy and his glory. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I know that in a room of this size, there are so many different feelings, and thoughts, emotions, experiences. Father, I know that you, um, that you are a God of grace, that you are gracious to us in even creating sex, that you are gracious in your response to us when we fall short. And so, Father, for, for any of my brothers or sisters in this room that might feel shame, that might be believing lies tonight, that they've gone too far, that they're ruined, Father, will you graciously step in and remind us that we're wanted, that we're desired, that you've gone to great lengths to show us that through your Son. Father, may we rest in the fact that we are yours, that nothing can pluck us from your hand. But Father, may we also be a people that strive to be diligent, strive to put sin to death so that we may experience the fullness of life and joy that you offer us, God. Will you move in this place, move in our hearts, show us where we have blind spots, show us where we need change, show us where we need you. We love you. In your son, let me pray. Amen. I know this message can bring up hard feelings. 
and there isn't always a quick way to move on from that. But I do want to remind you that the gospel is stronger than your past or present sin. If you are feeling called to walk out of something or confess what has been going on in your own life, we know how scary or tough that can be. We don't want you to have to try and fight that alone. So reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw and we can be a partner in this fight with you. God gave us this gift of community so we don't have to face tough things like this alone. So take up the offer and we would love to meet you where you are. We are praying that this message is one of hope in the gospel that frees you from whatever has gone on in your life. Take care and have a blessed week.